I think I was about uh, 11 years old. In fact, I know I was 11 years old. Uh, it was springtime, and, and I was uh, in fifth grade. Life was good. Life was cozy. Life was familiar and known and predictable. Friends I'd had since I learned to walk all lived within just a few blocks of our house. My grandmother lived next door. Her name was Bobby. And her hugs were the best, as were the hours that she would read stories to me. My elementary school, Mesita, was just a few blocks away. And having grown up in the school, I knew all the kids, and all the kids knew me. And gosh, I was happy. And that year, the biggest issue for me was my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Munoz. I'm not sure why, but she didn't appreciate the fact that one day I placed a frog in her top left drawer. Then the evening came, and my parents sat me down, and my dad said, Robert, I have a great job opportunity. It's in Los Angeles. We're going to move in June. It's going to be a great adventure. My thoughts, adventure. What do you mean adventure? I love life. I love my friends. I love my school. I love the neighborhood. Our families lived in this city forever. And then new feelings followed. Fear, anxiety, worry, grief. Then more thoughts and feelings. I, I, I'm not sure I like this. I, I like it just fine the way it is. Why do things have to change? I, I'm sad. I'm mad. There's a country song titled The House That Built Me. I've, I've referred to it in other settings and other sermons, but it just seems so relevant. It's a, it's a song, it's a country song about a grown woman who goes to visit her childhood home that is now occupied by somebody else. Here's some of the lyrics to which I relate and understand down to my soul especially as I think back to my life before moving. Here are the lyrics, excerpts. I know they say you can't go home again. I just had to come back one last time. Ma'am, you don't know me from Adam, but those handprints on the front stairs are mine. And up those stairs in that back bedroom is where I did my homework and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know that under that live oak tree, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. I thought if I could just touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Beautiful lyrics that remind me of some of the longing I've had in my life to go home again, wherever home is. How many of us at times have wanted to go home again, whatever that might be? How many of us have resisted new beginnings, brand new starts, a new chapter in life, big transitions and change itself? While my life would not be what, it is, what, it's, had, what it's been, had change not been a constant, I have, to find, I have to say that some changes I find to be really hard, scary, upending, frightening, and frankly, just sad. Speaking of changes, Snowmass Village is not moving to Los Angeles. 
neither is Snowmass Chapel. And while I am retiring November 1st, I don't want to overstate this, but it will be a change for you and for me and for this community. These last 14 plus years together have been astonishing and what God has done through all of you amazes me. And while I know I need to retire from ministry after 25 years because I'm tired, and although I know a new exciting chapter is ahead for me and Regina and our family and the chapel, to say that I've been experiencing every feeling under the sun as we've prepared for this moment is an understatement. This chapel and my role here is not a job to me. It's my life. And I will miss you as I love you. I have a lot more to say about this because it's July, not October. One thing I have to say, however, is that the chapel is in great shape, thanks to God and to each of you. God's got this. You've got this. Wonderful things are ahead for the chapel. Sharla, our team, our board members, our volunteers will continue to make this chapel all about loving God, others, and ourselves. And I have no question it's going to remain an outpost of what is right in a world in which so much is wrong. If everyone here stays focused on one thing, you know what that is, right? What's that one thing? There you go. <laughs> if everybody stays focused on love and Jesus, this chapel will be more than well. And with that focus, I'm not worried about the chapel, I'm not worried about you, I'm not worried about me, but that said, gosh darn it, change is hard, and this is change. For this reason, I decided I'd like to spend just a few moments this morning touching on change and some thoughts about change, and maybe I'm preaching this sermon for me. As I think about change and those things that have happened to me, I realize that there are some changes I deeply appreciate in life, like getting out of school, like getting a job, like getting married to Regina, like having children, like living in different places, new friends, new adventures. When I do it, I like the change of getting back into shape after being a couch potato. I enjoy the seasons of the year. Those things all happen because of change. And living here through each of the four seasons, we are reminded in a powerful, visible way that change is inherent in God's creation. God creates change. Everything changes. As you know, there's no such thing as no change. It simply does not exist. And so we're wise not to always resist it. And this, in part, is why it's so invaluable to spend time in the mountains, in the deserts, and by the sea, because each of those settings is a living testament that God created everything to change and transform over time. I'll never forget standing with Regina on the California coast. We were way up on a bluff. I was looking out over the ocean and there was a fence, thank God, I would have fallen off looking at the ocean, but there was a fence, 
And on the fence, there was a little tiny sign. We could have easily missed it. And the sign said, where you, where you, where you are standing right now was 375 miles to the south 29 million years ago. Certainly change can happen in the blink of an eye over the course of a very long time. And as I think about this, what if there was no change? And what if everything was uniform? What if there were no undulations on hillsides that come from erosion? What if there was such a thing as waves that didn't move? Or leaves that were all the same color and never varied? Sounds rather stark to me and dull. I'm glad God created everything to change. Well, to be honest, sometimes I'm glad God created everything to change. I don't always have an easy time with change, as I've suggested. Some changes make me sad, nostalgic, or fill me with the desire to knock on the door and go home again, to open scrapbooks with old pictures. Some changes I continue to grieve over. I miss my parents, as many of you do, and friends that have died and are gone. Favorite spots to hang out that are long torn down. I miss having spent all those years living on the border, being able to just freely go back and forth into Mexico and engage with the wonderful people of Mexico when it was safe. But change is part of what it means to be human and an inherent aspect of life. And so I have to wonder, as I've already suggested, what if this was not the case? What if things did not change? What if we never thought about something in a new way? What if the challenges and heartaches we are experiencing right now never went away? What if we never learned anything new? What if we never developed any skills? What if we never had new friendships? What if we didn't become wiser over the course of time? What if we remained five years old forever or 75? What if we had the same conversations over and over and over and over again? Wore the same clothes, saw the same sights without variation. What if we ate the same thing at every meal or lived with one and only emotion? None of this is to say that all change is good, far from it. But can you imagine if our human life was not inherently about change. It is indeed the cost of being human. I don't know who said it, but I've quoted this before. Someone once said, God loves us the way we are, but too much to leave us that way. God wants us to mature. That's change. God wants us to grow. That's change. God wants our thinking to move from, and I've got it all figured out, to being expansive. God wants our love to grow, our dependence and reliance upon God, and our interdependence on others to grow. God wants us to be different tomorrow than we are today. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, you're perfect, no growth needed with you. And every person Jesus encountered either changed or was primed to grow as a result of encountering Jesus. Our letter today 
is a letter Paul wrote to a fellow named Philemon. And I've heard Philemon pronounced all kinds of ways in churches. The letter of Paul to the Philemons. No, it's a letter to Paul to Philemon. And Philemon, among Paul's letters, is the shortest that we have. It's short, but it's potent and full of life lessons that actually speak to change. That's one aspect of the letter. A bit of trivia, it was written near 55 or 60. And we know, because the letter tells us, as well as evidence from other places, that Paul wrote the words we heard from a jail cell. Not sure which jail or which town, but Paul was in jail. Paul had this knack of getting busted and arrested all the time. And he would write letters to occupy his time and to encourage people. I find it interesting that one of the centerpieces of our faith, from whom we study lessons, spent a lot of time in jail. It's interesting. We're not completely sure who Philemon was, but he and Paul were friends. And Philemon must have had some importance in this community because we know that he was the host of a home church back in the days when there were no churches. People met in houses. And in those days, slavery was widespread. Many people lived as slaves, and their owners had complete ownership and control over them. If a slave ran off, the slave owner could execute the slave. No questions. As a tragic aside, I've always thought of this truth that over the course of time, people in the United States have used Philemon to justify slavery. I, I remember the days in the 60s and 70s, you could hear it. It was not unusual to hear people say, but in the Bible it says slavery. You may remember those days. Another terrible example of what happens when people recite Bible verses to condemn entire groups of people, justify mal maltreatment or refuse to accept a new way of thinking or looking at something. But anyway, Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. We don't know how long he was a slave. We don't know why they were separated. He may have run off. We don't know. But Onesimus and Paul had a relationship, and he was of great help to Paul. And it was during this time that Onesimus became a follower of Jesus. And in a letter, Paul asked Philemon to accept Onesimus back home, but to accept him not as a slave, but as a Christian. This was a change request, a radical request. Slaves were slaves, owners were owners. No one would have thought that an owner should treat a slave as anything but a slave. This was a fundamental, life-altering change that Paul was asking Philemon to make. He was asking Philemon to change his view about Onesimus, to change his view about slavery. And to understand the potency of what Paul was asking, we need to remember that his request to treat Onesimus as a Christian would have been counter to every cultural norm at the time. Paul, in essence, says, Philemon, you are a good fellow and a good Christian. You have done a lot, and I've done a lot for you. You're faithful. As my Christian brother, will you accept Onesimus back? And when you do so, will you completely change how you see him and treat and relate to him? Will you treat him as you treat me? In its relevancy for us, Paul points to something for each of us to remember when thinking about change itself. Paul, in essence, says, Philemon in Christ... Philemon, in Christ, you can make this change. In Christ, you can change how you see Onesimus. 
And it is here we get to the foundation of what we are to do and to whom we are to turn when we are confronted with change. It is here that we get to what we are to do when we are being asked to make some changes that are hard, overwhelming, or seem to be out of our reach. The key, the key point here is the phrase, in Christ. Paul writes, in Christ, you can make this change. What does that mean? When Jesus appeared to his followers after his resurrection, he told them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. As you know, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God within you and within me. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus told his followers that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power Jesus used was the word dynamis. Dynamis means power. Dynamis means to be able to do something, to will something, to have great possibility, the ability to do something. And interestingly enough, dynamis is where we get the English word dynamite. Said another way, what Jesus was telling his followers is that we are filled with God's dynamis, God's power, God's dynamite, if you will. And that it is that power, not our own power, that enables us to go through, embrace, accept, and even seek change. It is through the power, the dynamis of God, that we are given what we need to change and to accept change. It's exactly why Paul said, Philemon, in Christ, in Christ, through the power of God, through God's dynamite power, you can change your mind about Onesimus and therefore slavery. You can embrace this change, Philemon, because of the power of God within you. So let me wrap with this. As I said, change is inherent to life. It can be great. It can be hard. It can be tragic. But however much I like or don't like certain changes, I know that life would not be wonderful would not be beautiful, would not be what it is were it not for change itself. And I believe we each need to work through what we think about and how we adapt to change with God, with others, and within ourselves. Personally, however hard some changes are, I would not, think, would not want things to never change because as I look at my life, all that is good, all that is right, all that is wonderful, all that I love, all those that I love would not be in my life were it not for change itself. Do you know that we wouldn't be here this morning if change didn't happen? The foundation of this chapel never would have been laid. So Mass Chapel would not exist were it not for change itself. If nothing changed, our lives would look like an old slate blackboard in an empty classroom with nothing written on it. And change is God's gift 
It's like a piece of chalk that writes things on that black board. So I believe God invites us to make the choice, the daily choice to trust God through the changes we experience. And I believe that God wants us to learn to live in the moment with God's help not dwelling on what has been or consumed with worries about the future, but rather to live with a focus on the right now. And I believe God invites us to ask for his power, his dynamite power to fill us, guide us, lead us, and help us as we move day to day through all the changes and chances and transformations of life. And with regard to the upcoming changes of the chapel, Let's trust God in this deal. God's got you. God's got this chapel. God's got me. Everything's going to be absolutely more than fine. Much more than fine. Exciting things lie ahead. And I think that's just dynamite. God's dynamite. So let us take a few moments now in silent prayer.